Have you ever heard the expression, I'm sure you have, he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, I was looking, I don't know if you can see the picture up here, but it, it looks like a line of police dogs and a cat. And I'm assuming the cat thinks he is probably in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I have found out in my life that uh, a lot of problems occur by being in the wrong place. In January of 1979, we moved from Fort Hood, Texas to Virginia. My dad was transferred from Fort Hood to the Pentagon. And some of you know, I've mentioned this before, that that was the, Colleen, Fort Hood, was the longest I'd ever lived anywhere. We'd lived there five years, from the middle of my sixth grade year to the middle of my junior year. Before that, we had moved every year, you know. And so it was the first time I'd ever made friends, the first time I ever really had any roots. So that was a pretty tough move on me, especially in the middle of the year like that. Well, there was a girl that lived down the block from us. Her dad was in the military also. And she had been there just about as long as I have. I don't think quite as long. But we had grown up, gone to junior high together, high school together. And her dad got transferred to Fort Benning, Georgia. At the same time that my dad got transferred to the Pentagon. And so this is in the day, of course, before there were computers or cell phones. So in order to communicate, you had to write letters, you know, put a stamp on them and actually mail them. Or you made very expensive long distance phone calls. But anyway, as uh, she had moved to Georgia in January and I had moved to Virginia in January and we had kind of corresponded back and forth a little bit and both of us were kind of in the same boat. We were kind of lonely and sad and a little upset that we'd had to move in the middle of our junior years and things like that. And somehow in the course of our correspondence, she finagled herself an invitation to come and stay with us during spring break. So that she could tour, we could tour Washington, D.C. Well, said, okay. Now, this is not a boyfriend, girlfriend situation. We'd just been friends. And uh, so she came to spend the, the week and, and, and tour around Washington, D.C., which is fine for me because I'd already lived there three or four months. And I don't think I had ever actually been into the city yet to, to the capital. And so she came and we had, we had plans that first morning we were going to get up and we were going to ride the bus. Both my parents rode the bus to work. My dad rode the bus to the Pentagon. My mother rode the bus to the Pentagon and then got the subway from the Pentagon on into DC where she actually worked. And so my dad explained to us exactly where the bus came and picked us up, you know, and everything. So we got up that morning and she had made a list of all the things that she wanted to see while she was in D.C., you know, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial. She wanted to see the White House and the Capitol. And and one of the places she wanted to see was where they made money. Okay? So we get up and and, uh, we, we go to where my dad said the bus was going to pick us up. And all of a sudden, we're on one side of the street And a bus comes on the other side of the street, stops, opens the door, nobody gets on, and drives away. And so as we're standing there, we begin to realize, you know what, that was probably our bus. 
and we're probably on the wrong side of the street. And so it was going to be an hour before the next bus came. And so I decided, well, let's just get in my car. How hard can it be to drive to Washington, D.C.? Well, yeah. Okay. Now, you got to remember, first of all, this is long before 9-11, long before a lot of the security measures that we, you know, that, that are in place now. So we get in my car and we drive to D.C. And we actually get there. And we're driving around looking for a place to park. And I found a place to park. And we get out. And, of course, she has this list of things that she wants to do. And I've got some kind of a map. My parents probably gave me a map or whatever. And so right where we parked was in front of this building that had written on it, United States Treasury. Now, not knowing any different, if you're going to print money, wouldn't you think you would print it in a building that said United States Treasury? I didn't know that it would be the United States Mint, but anyway, so there's this great big building, United States Treasury, and so we, me and her, just open this side door and walk in, and it is this long hallway. And nobody around. And so we just keep walking down this hallway. All of a sudden, from around the corner, come two heavily armed security guards. M16s trained at us, telling us to halt. What are you doing here? And of course, you know... Now I'm terrified. And I said, well, we're wanting to see where they print the money. That's not this building. That's all the way across town at another, at another place. How did you get in here? And I said, well, we, 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 we came in that door. You can't come in that door. That door is secure. That door is locked. You can't come in that door. And here's two 17-year-old kids getting grilled by, you know, heavily armed officers. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) But we came in that door. And so they took us and we went to the door. And sure enough, kind of like the doors around this building sometimes that are supposed to be locked. Right, Sharon? And they don't get all the way shut or whatever. Anyway, the door was open. Now, why it was open, how it got open... I don't know, I promise you, I did not pick the lock on the U.S. Treasury building. And so they still would not accept that. And they took us in this room and literally we were interrogated for like 30 minutes. Now you talk about being in the wrong place. We were absolutely in the wrong place. In a place where we were not supposed to be. I don't know if they ever figured out the security or whatever. They let us go and they even let us, you know, they, again, they didn't have quite as communication and we went to the White House and we went to the Capitol and we went, you know, other places without, you know, somebody following us or whatever. But tonight I want us to look for a few minutes at some biblical examples of being in the wrong place because being in the wrong place can get us in trouble, you know. 
I often think about that and think, we could have got shot. You know, there's a possibility we could have got shot. Uh, now, luckily, we didn't. And the first one I want to look at is one we're familiar with. And that's the prodigal son that we find in Luke chapter 15. And I know back when we did the parables, we, we looked at this parable quite extensively. But we're going to look at it from a little different angle. In Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, the, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving. Uh, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against you in heaven and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father and we know the rest of the story. But what I wanted to think about is the young man found himself where he shouldn't be. He was in the wrong place. He found himself in a foreign country. He found himself with people that didn't care about him or love him or had any concern about him. He even found himself in a pigsty, literally, wanting to eat the leftovers from the pigs. Now, I don't know much about hogs and pigs except that they destroy my yard. But I do know this, they eat everything. So if he wanted to eat the leftovers from the pigs, how bad does that have to be? I mean, what leftovers do pigs leave? But he found himself in the wrong place because of purposely and intentionally going against his father's will. There may be times in our lives where we find ourselves in the wrong place because that's what we decide to do. We just decide that we've had enough of church, we've had enough of religion, we've had enough of God's commands or whatever, and we're just going to do what we want to do. Now, this story has a happy ending because he comes to his senses and he goes back to the Father. But when we decide that we are going to turn against God and we're going to go our own way, there is no guarantee that there will be such a happy ending. There's no guarantee that we're going to make it to the point that we come back. So we find that the man, that the prodigal son found himself in the wrong place. Secondly, in 1 Kings chapter 13... We have that interesting story of the man of God. I love this story. We've talked about it before. But if you remember, the, the young prophet is told by God to go and prophesy to the king. And then on your way home, do not stop. Do not come home the same way you went. Do not stop. Do not stay in the country. Do not do, you know, just make a beeline back home. And so we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. Now there was a certain old prophet 
living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king about not staying and and eating, that he had to go on home. Their father asked him, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home and eat with me. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. And then I love this in parentheses, but he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not commit." kept the command the Lord God gave to you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place that he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. Wow, what a shock that must have been to the young prophet. You just told me that God told you that it was okay for me to come back and eat with you. Now you're prophesying. That I disobeyed God and that my body is not going to be buried with my ancestors. Verse 23. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown down on the road with the donkey and the lion beside it. Some people passed by, saw the body thrown down there and the lion standing beside the body. And they went in and reported it in the city where the old prophet lived. And the old prophet comes and buries his body there. This is a very interesting story, isn't it? A very intriguing and disturbing in many ways. Now, we've talked about this before. You've heard my take on this. That in my way of thinking, the wrong prophet got eaten by the lions. Right? In my way of thinking, the prophet who lied to the young man said that he spoke for God, but didn't. That's the one who should have been eaten by the lions. Not the guy who just listened to him and just assumed that he was telling the truth. But for whatever reason, this man found himself in the wrong place. And he found himself in the wrong place because he listened to the wrong person. We need to make sure that when we're trying to figure out what is right for our lives, that we are listening to the right person, that we are listening to God. This man was led astray by somebody he thought he could trust. We cannot listen to the government. We cannot listen to society. We cannot listen to our friends 
And we cannot listen even sometimes to other Christians. You see, I think God's point here is, I specifically gave you instructions. I told you what to do. And we need to make sure that in our lives, that we as individuals know what God says. How many times have I told you this and I tell the teenagers this? Don't ever, ever believe something or take my word for something simply because I'm the preacher. Simply because I'm an elder. Simply because I'm the youth minister. Because I could, maybe, I could be wrong. Now, I won't ever intentionally lead you astray like the old prophet did with the young prophet. But there are other religious people out there, some of whom I believe are intentionally leading people astray. And there are others who are doing it inadvertently. But the result is still the same. You need to know, I need to know as an individual, what God says. You remember what Acts says about those people in Berea. How that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because they searched the scriptures daily. To see that what Paul was telling them was the truth. And you know what I like about that the most? Nowhere does it say that Paul got his feelings hurt. Nowhere does it say that Paul got upset. Nowhere does it say that Paul said, what, you don't trust me? You don't believe me? You know, we are very blessed in the time in which we live and the country in which we live because God's word is so readily available to us. Whether it's like I prefer paper and ink or some of you people out there electronically or digitally or whatever it is, maybe you got it you know, implanted in your brain, I don't know. But there was a time in Christianity when the church, and I use that in a broader sense, did not want the common people to have the scriptures. Did not want the common people to be able to read for themselves and think for themselves. You know, and I've told you before, that the first people who began to translate the Bible into what was then a modern language, whether it be German or whether it be English, were tortured as heretics and killed because that's what they wanted to do. The church wanted to keep things in Latin or keep things in Greek or Hebrew so that only the priests could really understand the Bible. You see, I'm role playing here, okay? You people are dumb, all right? You're ignorant, you're uneducated, 
I've been trained. I know how to read Latin. I know how to interpret it. So I will tell you what the scriptures say. You don't need to read it for yourself. And that was the general impression of the church. What we learn, I think, from this story of the young prophet is we need to read and study God's word for ourselves. We need to know what God's word says so that we will know if somebody comes along and tries to tell us something differently. I'm not falling for that. I remember that old prophet. Now, I know we don't have any lion. Well, we may have some mountain lions or, you know, or whatever. But, you know, I don't want to be eaten by a lion or a bear or a wolf or a fox or a snake or a cricket or whatever. So I am going to study the word of God for myself so that I know and don't end up in the wrong place. The third person we see or the third person we're going to mention tonight that we find in the wrong place is Lot. We remember Lot, the nephew of Abraham. Over in Genesis chapter 13. If I can get there. In Genesis chapter 13, we have that story where Lot, you know, he, he or Abraham uh, has really built up a very large empire. He's got lots of sheep and cattle and servants. He even has a, basically an army of his own, you know. He has built up and Lot has done a similar thing. But they've been traveling together and now it got to the point where the land that they were on was not able to sustain both groups of people. So Abraham and Lot decide that they are going to separate. And Abraham, even though he was the eldest, even though Abraham had the right to take first choice of the land and let Lot fend for himself, Abraham let Lot choose where he wanted to go and so we see in verse uh, 11 of chapter 13 so lot chose for himself the whole plain of the jordan set out toward the east and the two men parted company abram lived in the land of canaan lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near sodom now the men of sodom were wicked And we're sinning greatly against the Lord. So that's chapter 13. Lot has his choice and he decides that that because the the land around the Jordan was more fertile or whatever, he's going to take that land. Well, it also happened to be where Sodom and Gomorrah were, but that's beside the point. Even though those men were wicked or whatever, I'm going to pitch my tents near Sodom and I'm going to take that land. Now we skip over about six chapters. And we see in chapter 19, after a brief discussion with Abram, it says two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down his face to the ground. My Lord, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on in the morning. And what we see is from chapter 13 to 19, is that we have moved from Lot pitching his tents near Sodom to Lot having a house in Sodom. And Lot had to have known what the scriptures tell us in chapter 13, that Sodom was a wicked place. In fact, 
That's the reason he wanted to invite those strangers into his house because he knew what the men of Sodom were like and what was about to happen. And yet he chose to live there amongst them. And we know the rest of the story, how that, you know, God tells him and his family to leave and don't look back. And God is raining down fire and brimstone and sulfur and all that stuff on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's wife turns around and looks and she becomes a pillar of salt. My point here is that sometimes we find ourselves in the wrong place. When maybe originally we didn't intend to be in the wrong place. But we were too close to the wrong place. I'm not ever going to actually get involved in all of that. But as we said before, I'm going to see kind of how close I can get to it. And before you know it, we're involved in it. And so we see Lot finding himself in the wrong place. I didn't mean to. Some people might say. But what about the decisions that lead up to that sin? Well, maybe we didn't technically mean to be there. But we made some decisions that put us in that place. Where it was going to be easier to be tempted. So being close to the wrong place. Being close to the wrong place. Is the wrong place. Fourthly, we see Jonah. And we know about Jonah, but let's just read a little bit from Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind and a violent storm. And we know what happens after that. The sailors try to take everything off the ship to try to save the ship. And they can't figure it out. And so they decide that somebody's done something wrong. So let's cast lots. And sure enough, the lot comes up on Jonah. And Jonah tells him, yeah, it's all my fault because I'm running away from God. Throw me overboard. And even the heathen sailors are like, whoa, (laughs) that's a little drastic. I I don't know that we really want to do that. And Jonah said, because if this truly was his God that was doing this, and they were a little worried about what their God would do if they threw Jonah overboard. Jonah says, don't worry, I'll make it right with my God. You throw me overboard and y'all are going to be okay. And then we know all about the great fish and the three days and three nights and the spitting him back up. And then he eventually goes to Nineveh and all that kind of thing. Well, the thing about Jonah is, in and of itself, Jonah was not in the wrong place. Was there anything wrong with Jonah deciding he wanted a vacation and wanted to go to Tarshish? I have no idea what kind of vacation Tarshish would be. But if Jonah had decided, you know, Tarshish is a pretty good place to vacation. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go to Tarshish and I'm going to vacation there. Any problem with that? It wasn't. The problem was not that Jonah was going to Tarshish. The problem was not that Jonah was on that boat. The problem was Jonah was not where he was supposed to be. You see, he was supposed to be on his way to Nineveh. 
That's what made going to Tarshish wrong. Sometimes we may be in the wrong place, not because it is in and of itself a wrong place, but because we're not where we are supposed to be. Whether it be worship time or some other situation where we need to be somewhere, God has called us to be somewhere and we choose not to be there. And so we are in the wrong place, not because it's a wrong place in and of itself, but because it's not the right place. It's not the place that God has called us to be. Nothing wrong with being at home. Nothing wrong with fishing. Nothing wrong with hunting or playing golf or watching football. However, when that takes a place of worship study or Bible study or fellowship time together, then it's the wrong place. Because we're supposed to be in the right place. And fifthly, we see Peter. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is arrested in the garden. And we know this story as well. But in verse 54, it says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. And we know the rest of that story too. How Peter three times vehemently denies that he knows Jesus. The last time bringing down a curse. And then we have that moment where it says, and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. You see, Peter was in the wrong place. Peter was in the camp of the enemy, essentially. Peter had followed at a distance. Now, you got to give Peter some props. Isn't that always true with Peter's life, basically? He's always right on the verge of doing something good, but then, you know, it turns out not to be the right thing. John followed Jesus all the way into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance. Judas went out and hung himself. Where were the other nine? Scattered. Scattered. So we got to give Peter a little bit of, you know, goodwill for at least following Jesus, even though it was at a distance, but that was his problem. The problem is we can never follow Jesus at a distance. It's all or nothing. If we learned anything from our study of, are you a fan? That that whole thing is that Jesus wants and demands a hundred percent commitment. Not necessarily a hundred percent perfection, but a hundred percent commitment. Peter was not willing to give that. And then he ends up being in the garden around the fire with those who had, many of whom probably had been the ones that had arrested Jesus. We need to be in those places that are going to keep us close to God. We need to make the most of every opportunity to spend time with other Christians. We need to be in an environment that is going to encourage us and strengthen us. We don't need to be out there on our own in the world like we talked about this morning. 
need to be where we can enjoy the strength and fellowship of one another. So, you know, just like me and and my friend in the uh, treasury department, when we get in the wrong place, when we find ourselves in the wrong place, we can be in a lot of trouble. And we have a lot of biblical examples of people who were in the wrong place and it cost them dearly. So we want to make sure that we are in the right places, the places that God would want for us to be. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.